Welcome to the Shortwave Report for March 2nd, 2012. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's www.outfarpress.com, you can find a schedule for dozens of international broadcasters in English. There you can also listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Spanish National Radio, Radio Havana, Cuba, NHK World Radio Japan, and The Voice of Russia. We'll begin with Spanish National Radio. A meeting of the Eurozone countries on the debt crisis was canceled, and Ireland will hold a referendum on the EU Fiscal Stability Treaty. In France, the presidential candidate, most likely to unseat Sarkozy, said that anyone earning over 1 million euros should pay 75% in taxes. Spain's Supreme Court has cleared Judge Garzon from charges resulting from his investigation of Franco-era crimes. An earlier conviction on phone tapping still stands, however. China has accused the United States of arrogance in its criticism of China's policy towards Syria. Spanish National Radio. The meeting of the 17 Eurozone nations, which was scheduled to take place in Brussels on Friday after the two-day summit of the 27 leaders of the European Union, has been cancelled. It's reported from Brussels that Germany is not yet prepared to discuss the amount of money needed to inject into the new European Monetary Stability Fund, which is intended to act as a firewall to ensure that the debt crisis does not spread from Greece to other Eurozone countries like Italy or Spain. The German finance minister, Wolfgang Schauble, had already said that the meeting in Brussels did not need to make a final decision on the fund, as that could be done any time in March. Ireland is planning to hold a referendum on the European Union's fiscal compact on budget discipline, which was agreed in Brussels last month. Irish Prime Minister Enda Kenny told Parliament that a plebiscite was necessary. The Irish people will be asked for their authorisation in a referendum to ratify the European Stability Treaty, the so-called Fiscal Compact Treaty. The Prime Minister set no date for the referendum. Ireland received an EU International Monetary Fund bailout in 2010 after suffering a major banking crisis. Public support for the European Union in Ireland has since fallen due to the unpopularity of harsh austerity measures. However, unlike full EU treaties, the Intergovernmental Stability Accord does not require unanimity. Only 12 countries need to ratify it. In France, the socialist leader, François Hollande, whose favourite to win the presidential elections in April, has said top earners should pay 75% of their income in tax. Speaking on primetime television, he promised that if elected, he would undo tax breaks enacted by President Sarkozy. Mr Hollande said that anyone earning over 1 million euros a year should pay three quarters of it to the state because, in his view, it's not possible to have that level of income and that paying the tax would be a patriotic thing to do. 
Ministers from Mr. Sarkozy's ruling party immediately attacked the proposal with the foreign minister, Alain Juppé, denouncing it as fiscal confiscation. Spain's Supreme Court has cleared high-profile Spanish Judge Baltasar Garzón of violating a 1977 amnesty law when he opened an investigation into Franco-era crimes. Two right-wing groups had accused Mr. Garzón of overstepping his powers by trying to prosecute crimes committed between 1936 and 1975. Mr. Garzón argued crimes against humanity should not be subject to an amnesty. While the Supreme Court decision is significant, it does not mean that Judge Garzón will be able to continue the investigation. Earlier this month, in another case, Judge Garzón was suspended from the bench for 11 years after being found guilty of illegal phone tapping. Mr. Garzón has vowed to fight that conviction, and he faces a third trial brought by private parties involving allegations that he took bribes. The 56-year-old judge is best known for helping to secure the arrest of the former Chilean leader Augusto Pinochet in London in 1998. China has accused the U.S. of arrogance in its criticism of Beijing's Syria policy. A commentary in the Chinese Communist Party's official newspaper said that after the experience of Iraq, the U.S. had no right to speak for the Arab people. The comments followed a follow a blunt statement by U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton that the Chinese and Russian veto of a U.N. Security Council resolution on Syria was despicable while people are being murdered. Those reports were from Spanish National Radio, heard from 4 to 5 p.m. at 5970, and podcasting at www.rtve.es. All the times I'm announcing are for Pacific Standard Time, so adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. The Russian foreign minister said that the Friends of Syria meeting last weekend was unilateral and did not stimulate peace. Students led demonstrations across Spain over cuts to education and recent police violence against protesters. Millions of workers in India went on strike for workers' rights. This is the largest strike in the country since independence in 1947. Brazil will assist in the release of hostages held by FARC in Colombia. The Union of Concerned Scientists documented 15 near misses at U.S. nuclear power plants in 2011. Radio Havana, Cuba. The Friends of Syria conference held in Tunisia over the weekend was unilateral and did not stimulate peaceful dialogue in the country, according to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Speaking with reporters in Moscow, Lavrov said that Russia did not understand the status of the document distributed by delegates at Saturday's meeting. Russia and China refused to attend the meeting, sparking an angry reaction from the United States. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said that Moscow and Beijing were setting themselves against the Arab awakening and called the country's veto of a U.N. resolution on Syria despicable. China, on Monday, called Clinton's criticism totally unacceptable and said she was very arrogant to claim to speak for the Arab people. In Moscow on Monday, Lavrov vowed that Russia would continue to call for pressure on those taking part in violence there right now. The Russian foreign minister's comments came a day after Syria held a national referendum on a new constitution amid continuing violence. Delegates in Tunisia, 
issued a declaration calling on Damascus to end violence immediately and endorsed the main opposition umbrella group, the Syrian National Council, as a credible voice of opposition. Participants from more than 70 countries also called on President Bashar al-Assad to allow humanitarian access and vowed to step up sanctions against the Syrian government. Students across Spain staged sit-ins and mass demonstrations today over emergency spending cuts and recent police violence against protesters. Student associations called marches in 25 cities and towns across the country to protest the austerity measures they say are disrupting classes and cutting thousands of teaching jobs. Demonstrations were also billed as a gesture of solidarity with students in Valencia, the region worst hit by the education funding crisis, where police beat youths in bloody baton charges during demonstrations in recent weeks. The protests are the latest in a number of demonstrations, driven by anger over budget cuts and reforms that the right-wing government claims are necessary to strengthen the economy and curb unemployment, which is currently at nearly 23%. Spain's National Students Union leader, Tohil Delgado, told reporters that authorities are making massive cuts in public education, giving people no guarantees to work, and beating students who demonstrate peacefully. In Valencia, students spent the night on the university campus as part of a movement called Seize the Faculty. Marches took place on Wednesday in Madrid, Barcelona, and other cities across Spain. Millions of workers in India have launched a 24-hour strike in a major push for workers' rights. The strike, the largest since independence in 1947, is backed by India's 11 major trade unions and has swept through multiple industries, including banking, transportation and postal services. Demands include a minimum wage, permanent jobs for contract workers and an end to privatization of public companies. The unions are also pressing the government to take steps to curb inflation and rising prices. Although India's inflation rate dropped from 9.1% in December, it still remains high at 7.5%. Growth for the financial year ending in March is also expected to be around 7%, lower than the previous forecasts of about 9%. The government of Indian Prime Minister Manmohan Singh is trying to cut its debt deficit by selling stakes in state-run companies, which is strongly rejected by unions and their members. Other demands include universal social security cover for non-unionized workers and enforcement of labor laws. Brazil will assist in the release of the last hostages held by the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, better known as FARC. The announcement was made by Colombian Vice President Angelino Garzón from Geneva, where he is attending the 19th session of the UN Human Rights Council. Garzón said that Colombia has seen a positive contribution by the Brazilian government and the International Committee of the Red Cross in all processes for the release of hostages held by the FARC. The day before the Colombian rebels, the largest armed guerrilla group in the South American country, announced it will end its decades-long practice of kidnapping civilians for ransom and free its 10 remaining police and military hostages. In a statement released on Sunday, FARC said it would outlaw the practice in its revolutionary activity, an announcement that was seen by some as a move toward peace by the left-wing insurgents. However, it remained unclear about the time to release the hostages. And the Union of Concerned Scientists has documented 15 near misses at 13 U.S. nuclear plants during 2011 and evaluates the response of the Nuclear Energy Commission to each event 
in a report released on Wednesday. The second in an annual series of reports, the NRC and Nuclear Power Plant Safety 2011 report, Living on Borrowed Time, details 15 special inspections launched by the U.S. agency in response to problems with safety equipment, security shortcomings, and other troubling events at U.S. nuclear power plants. The report was provided by David Lockburn, the director of the UCS's Nuclear Safety Project. Lockburn said that while none of the safety problems last year caused harm to plant employees or the public, their frequency, more than one per month, is high for a mature industry. Lockburn said that in the 40 years that the Union of Concerned Scientists has evaluated safety at U.S. nuclear power plants, they have repeatedly found that the NRC enforcement of safety regulations is not timely, consistent, or effective. The report notes that many of these 15 near misses occurred because reactor owners and operators either tolerated known safety problems or took inadequate measures to correct them. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba, heard from 2 p.m. to 3 at 11760, and from 4 to 11 p.m. at either 6060, 6010, or 6000. Also streaming on the web from 4 to 11 p.m. at www.radiohc.cu, and now podcasting at World Radio Network, which is wrn.org. On to NHK World Radio Japan. The European Union will continue to ban food imports for another six months from 11 prefectures in Japan due to fear of radioactive contamination. Wakami seaweed harvested off the coast of Japan has returned to the market. An independent panel investigated the Fukushima disaster and published very critical findings this week. North Korea says it will suspend uranium enrichment in exchange for food aid. An Egyptian court has begun trying 43 NGO aid workers, including 16 Americans, charging them with illegally distributing funds to political parties and spying for the CIA. NHK World Radio Japan. The European Union will continue import restrictions on Japanese food from 11 prefectures, including Fukushima and Tokyo, until the end of October. Exporters from the areas have been required to inspect their food for radioactive materials after the nuclear power plant accident in March last year. The requirement has been extended every three months until now. The EU announced on Tuesday that the inspections will be extended by seven months. EU officials say they will need to assess food harvested this autumn. They also say the number of spot checks will be halved as Japan has been conducting strict tests. Wakame seaweed, seaweed harvested in the waters of Kesennuma City in Miyagi Prefecture has been offered to bidders at auction for the first time since the March disaster devastated the area's seaweed growing operations. At the Tuesday auction, salted wakame seaweed fetched almost double the price it went for at this time last year. The Sandik region, where the tsunami waves struck hardest, accounts for about 60% of the farmed wakame grown in Japan. In June, farmers began restoring farming operations in the region, which includes part of Miyagi Prefecture, after being all, all but wiped out by the tsunami.
About 50 buyers from across the country bid for about 60 tons of salted wakame and 100 kilograms of dried wakame from the first post quake harvest. This was about half the amount that was available at the first auction of the season last year. There will be eight more auctions of Sandiku Wakami seaweed between now and April when the harvest season ends. An independent panel investigating the accident at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant has issued a report based on interviews with about 300 people, including Japanese and U.S. government officials and nuclear experts. It has pointed out that the government and the plant's operator were ill prepared to deal with the crisis. The six member panel of experts from the private sector has been studying how the Japanese government and Tokyo Electric Power Company responded to the nuclear accident in March last year. The power company's officials refused to be interviewed. The report released on Tuesday criticizes the government's response as off the cuff and too late. The late response is blamed on the government's failure to anticipate a nuclear accident triggered by an earthquake and tsunami that occurred simultaneously, which rendered its crisis management manual useless. The report says the problem was compounded by the lack of basic legal knowledge on the part of the government's senior officials. The report also points to delays in providing the Prime Minister's office with accurate information, as well as insufficient support by nuclear experts. The report urges immediate debate on improving such problems. The report condemns the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency for its failure to train professionals in safety. It says the agency could not draw up plans to put the Fukushima plant under control due to a shortage of both personnel and ideas. The report blames Tokyo Electric for increasing the damage by not immediately switching to an alternative cooling system after realizing that the emergency condenser wasn't working. It also says the company took too much time to start the vent procedure to avert a major crisis. North Korea has informed the United States that it is ready to suspend its uranium enrichment program in exchange for food aid. This would include grains from the United States. Diplomatic sources linked to the six party talks on North Korea's nuclear program told this to NHK. North Korea revealed its intention during bilateral talks with the U.S. last week in the Chinese capital of Beijing. They were the first high level talks since the death of the country's former leader, Kim Jong il, in December. Sources say North Korea will allow inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency into its nuclear facilities in Nyonbyon. They are willing to suspend uranium enrichment under the agency's supervision. North Korea has demanded that U.S. food assistance include rice and other grains, and the total amount be increased. In December last year, the U.S. proposed offering 240,000 tons of nutritional biscuits and vitamin pills. Grains were not included. The bilateral talks ended without reaching a final conclusion, but both sides agreed to continue coordinating through their U.N. representatives in New York. An Egyptian court has started the trial of more than 40 NGO aid workers who were helping Egypt's pro democracy groups. 
43 aid workers, including 16 U.S. citizens, have been charged with distributing foreign funds to political parties without a license and being involved in illegal political activities. On Sunday, only 13 Egyptian defendants were present in court for the opening hearing, and all of them pleaded not guilty to the charges. Prosecutors accused them of spying for the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency and sending information collected in Egypt to the U.S. Some U.S. and German citizens charged in the case have been banned from leaving the country. The move has drawn a sharp reaction from the U.S. government, which has threatened to cut off military assistance to Egypt worth about $1.3 billion a year. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, heard from 9 to 9 30 p.m. at 6110, or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or would like to make a donation for production costs of this unfunded program, I may be reached through the website or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. I'm grateful for any donations. Please help support this show if you can. We will conclude with the voice of Russia. According to an email liberated by WikiLeaks, U.S. prosecutors have drawn up secret charges against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Prior to the Obama administration, the Espionage Act was used only three times. It has been used six times since Obama took office, mostly to go after people releasing administration secrets rather than dealing with threats to national security. The Voice of Russia. According to a confidential internal email obtained from Stratfor, a private company that provides intelligence and analysis to corporate and government subscribers, United States prosecutors have drawn up secret charges against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. In the email sent to Stratfor intelligence analysts on January 26th of 2011, the company's vice president for intelligence, Fred Burton, responded to a media report concerning U.S. investigations targeting WikiLeaks. He wrote, We have sealed indictment on Assange. Burton is a well known expert on security and counterterrorism with close ties to U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies. He is a former chief of counterterrorism in the U.S. State Department Diplomatic Security Service. The news that U.S. prosecutors drew up a secret indictment against Assange more than 12 months ago comes as the WikiLeaks founder awaits a British Supreme Court decision on his appeal against extradition to Sweden to be questioned in relation to allegations of sexual assault. Assange has not been charged with any offense in Sweden. Fierce extradition to Stockholm will open the way for his extradition to the U.S. on possible espionage or conspiracy charges over WikiLeaks publication of hundreds of thousands of leaked classified U.S. reports. In December, mass media revealed the contents of Australian diplomatic cables that confirmed WikiLeaks was the target of a U.S. Justice Department investigation, which was unprecedented both in its scale and nature, and suggested that media reports of a secret grand jury that had been convened in Alexandria, Virginia, were likely true. The Australian Embassy in Washington reported in December 2010. That the Justice Department was pursuing an active and vigorous inquiry into whether Julian Assange can be charged under U.S. law, most likely the 1917 Espionage Act. The Espionage Act refers to people who transmit information to a foreign government or entity 
with intent or reason to believe that it is to be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of a foreign nation. Last week, U.S. Army Private Bradley Manning was facing court-martial for 22 alleged offenses, including aiding the enemy by leaking classified U.S. documents to WikiLeaks. The Stratford emails show that WikiLeaks' publication of U.S. diplomatic cables triggered intense discussion within the global intelligence company. Stratford Senior Watch Officer Chris Farnham, an Australian, advocated revoking Mr. Assange's Australian citizenship, adding, I don't care about the other leaks, but the ones he has made that potentially damage Australian interests upset me. He continued, If I thought I could switch this pain in the butt off without getting done, I don't think I'd have too much of a problem. On Monday, WikiLeaks began the release of more than 5 million leaked Stratford emails, which it said showed how a private intelligence agency works and how they target individuals for their corporate and government clients. The second batch of emails revealed that the company has high-level sources within the United States and other governments, runs a network of paid informants that includes embassy staff and journalists, and planned a hedge fund, StratCap, based on its secret intelligence. It operates something of an employment revolving door with branches of the Washington establishment. In an email from December 6 last year, Friedman advised an analyst called Riva Bala on how to deal with an Israeli intelligence informant providing information on the medical condition of Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan president. He wrote, You have to take control of him. Control means financial, sexual or psychological control. In a statement, the company said that some emails had been stolen, but suggested some placed on the internet by WikiLeaks may have been forged. Stratford released a statement saying, We will not validate either, nor will we explain the thinking that went into them. Having had our property stolen, we will not be victimized twice by submitting to questioning about them. The Obama administration likes to hail brave foreign journalists sacrificing their lives for their cause. Yet, when it comes to journalism and whistleblowing in America, the government often utilizes the country's laws to suppress free speech. An article in the New York Times points out that the government is abusing the Espionage Act to silence whistleblowers and curb undesirable journalism in the United States. As the author David Carr points out, the Espionage Act, approved in 1917 to punish those who aided the enemy during World War I, was used just three times before President Obama took office in 2009 to prosecute government officials accused of providing classified information to the media. However, during his presidency, the act has been utilized six times, including in the case of Bradley Manning, who was charged with stealing national security documents and passing them on to WikiLeaks. Most of the instances of when the act was used during the Obama era had a lot more to do with the secrets of the administration rather than dealing with threats to national security. One example is that of John Kiraku, a former CIA officer and a Democratic staff member on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The Espionage Act was used to bring a case against him for giving information to journalists about abuses in the CIA's interrogation program, which included waterboarding. Although Kiriakou leaked the names of the CIA officers involved in torture of terrorist suspects, none of them have been prosecuted. Jake Tapper, the White House correspondent for ABC News, pointed out to White House Press Secretary Jay Carney during a press briefing last week that Kiriakou's case was that of a classic whistleblower who dealt with questionable behavior by government officials. He was far from leaking the location of secret nuclear sites. 
Tapper further pressed Carney on why, if the administration is so supportive of good journalism, they keep suing whistleblowers for violating the Espionage Act. He emphasized the hypocrisy of the presidential administration, which praises journalists who have given their lives covering the conflict in Syria, yet suppresses media at home. Carney refused to answer the question, saying only that he is not making the assumption that the Espionage Act prosecutions suppress whistleblowers. Those reports were from the Voice of Russia. Russia is now heard from 6 p.m. to 10 at 12030-13665-9840 and 7250 or through their website www.english.ruvr.ru. All the times I've announced are for Pacific Standard Time, so adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast using a shortwave radio at home, which is far simpler than you might think. However, if you use the internet, listening globally is also quite easy. See the links at this program's website. Every Friday morning, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's www.outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find internet links for international broadcasters, make a safe donation through PayPal, and get advice for listening at home. The Shortwave Report is free to rebroadcast upon notification. The Shortwave Report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.